0: I think any design leader has to sort of strike a balance between facilitation, craft execution, and what I'll call, and I don't mean this cynically, but design theater.
1: Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gier, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I talk with Scott Nazarian, who shares insights about his experience working at McKinsey, Microsoft, Frog, and many other design innovation cultures. Scott shares his insights on how design innovation companies and departments are going within companies, what design can contribute to drive businesses forward, and his key insights on design leadership. Based on his experience from McKinsey, he also touches on how to provide impact by coming to a new problem or environment from a consulting perspective and articulate what design can do in order to solve a business problem and also how to show directions and ways to get there. Thanks Scott for the great talk and Interaction20 where the episode was recorded for the support and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Enjoy. So I'm here with Scott Nasserian. I'm really excited to speak to you here at Interaction 20. You are Experience Design Director at McKinsey. You also have a history with Microsoft being a Principal Creative Director there and also board member of IXDA, which is also the organizer of this conference here. And you've also been Executive Creative Director at Frog and also been in Education Teaching at CCA. So, we're going to dive into a lot of topics uh, from all kinds of your experiences, uh, looking at the impact of design. But maybe in your own words, you can describe a little bit your journey, uh, where you got into design as a broader term uh, in the first place, and about your experiences.
0: Sure. I uh, I actually have a broad undergraduate background in uh, philosophy. So, Probably a uh, little unusual starting place, but I then worked for a number of years in both film production and then editorial design, just prior to, I think the uh, what we call the bubble, right? And then I had a couple of formative experiences, you know, working with artists and design practitioners from a much earlier era that sort of opened my eyes to, you know, new mobile technologies and then the possibility of what you know we now think of as digital so i kind of rode that uh, wave between what had been analog design processes in different kinds of media and then found my way into software design and a key pivot point around that was probably going to the arts center college of design about 12 years into my career arc and studying with dr brenda laurel who I sought out uh, because of her very early work in VR and augmented reality and that sort of thing. So I did that at Art Center, And I think that really allowed me to translate ideas that I had had about design and media and kind of catapult that forward. And working in the early, uh, well, not early actually, in the much uh, later days of Sun uh, Microsystems Labs. So Sun Labs, Building 16 in Menlo Park, which is actually now Facebook, or that building campuses. And then from there going to Frog and then Microsoft, and now McKinsey. So I think the last you know, five or six years have been fairly rapid, but I spent a long and formative time at Frog, which I really kind of consider my design home, if you will, in terms of uh, working in the innovation space there, and then you know, actually shipping software at Microsoft in the mixed reality space and 3D capture space, And then very deliberately going to McKinsey to understand what I'll formally call, you know, design operations. McKinsey, you know, in my view, being an operations firm, you know, and problem solving as management consultancies are, but that have essentially integrated design capabilities. So that's been its own kind of education in like the last two and a half, almost three years
1: yeah i think it's super interesting uh what is what you're pointing out there i mean you know mckinsey really building up design capabilities in the the last years a lot of acquisitions from studios and i think the whole you know industry is is changing there i think it's taking design um, more into the consideration of the projects can you talk a little bit about that transformation that happened in that space sure i think one thing that
0: So let me just make it clear that I've heard people describe my particular background as being, quote unquote, blended. You know, there's consulting, there's innovation work and invention, and then there's, you know, there's actual software design and uh, software delivery, right? So having all those three kind of perspectives has been very interesting for me. Going to, you know, to address your question more directly about McKinsey, they've, you know, they have, kind of developed, or I should say, integrated design capability only in the last six years. And and prior to that, I think, you know, there was was some awareness of digital, and not just digital media, but the kinds of problem solving and generative creative work that needed to be done in order to help the organizations that McKinsey uh, works with undergo uh, digital transformation, right? And in some cases these are very venerable companies they've been around for 80 100 years and they're just now in the last couple of years coming around to offering digital suites or tools you know for their customer base which are, you know which are quite large I mean, these are big companies and i think in my view what mckinsey has done is actually it's very smart they've seen that traditional kind of vertical methods of problem solving and facilitation that have gone before in traditional management consulting were actually not as effective at getting at human experience issues and design in particular. And as we've been hearing at this conference quite a bit, you know, I think design methods and I mean, I guess until recently design thinking, like whatever you want to call that, right? I think there are probably better terms for it, are actually uniquely good at Getting at the fuzzy, human, messy experience issues. So that, you know, I think I think that's the number one reason McKinsey decided to start to acquire and hire and integrate design capability into their consulting teams as an essentially as an expert function, so that they could start to move horizontally across some of these experience issues using, you know, design research methods and contextual inquiry and concept sprint, even the notion of Agile is a somewhat, you know, design forward sort of set of practices, right? Instead of moving in waterfall vertical development motions, you know, in big organizations for IT, you know, Agile moves very quickly across things, right? And can identify broad stroke areas. So I, I think that's why McKinsey has primarily taken on that. And I think they've they frankly, they were an early mover, a first adopter in that space. And now you see a lot of the, the other big consultancies kind of taking shape. What I think is also interesting, if I can just continue a little bit more, is when you look at the innovation firms from like a decade ago, you know, it, maybe it's Frog, maybe it's IDEO, maybe it's it's something else, right? Of a certain scale, I think some of those studios are now, they're, they're frankly struggling somewhat to figure out what they're offering is, right? Because so much you know, design has gone in-house. A lot of big companies have started to integrate at the you know, suggestion of big consulting firms that you know, help sort of shape their bottom line. And it's changing, you know, by big consulting getting into design, I think it's changing the, the rest of the playing field for a lot of the firms that have actually have brought us this
1: far yeah i think it's super interesting what you're pointing out there, how i think this whole spectrum of different agencies is changing to that you know changes happening at large so i wondering a little bit about your personal experience where you know maybe some of the projects you worked on in the past where it really clicked for you uh that design can drive impact and that you can drive positive change uh, with design maybe you have some projects that you can point out
0: sure. so i think i mean i've been doing this long enough where the spectrum of work I've been engaged in has evolved. I mean, some of the projects I did 10 years ago, nobody does those projects anymore or or unless they do them in a lab or in house, right? Mm -hmm. So I think innovation has largely become an internal investment. I think some of the, the very early innovation projects I did while I was at Frog, and I joined Frog in 2006, I think, late 2006 were essentially media and entertainment. And at that point, there was still a lot of open territory to to try and tackle the patent IP, which a lot of companies wanted to do around, for instance, 10-foot user interface, right? So, you know, the companies wanted to own the living room and this is pre Netflix and, and all of that. So we were essentially tasked by uh, some companies to do an end run around the TV Guide patent wall, right? And I think everyone knows that TV Guide uh, sort of, you know, brick wall of channels that you see or that you used to see, and you still see to some degree in cable television. Trying to innovate around that and generate new patent IP was actually a really, not only fascinating, but gratifying sort of product design experience, right? Because we were designing only for the large TV and turning that into kind of the smart hub Right, and this again needs to be noted that like what is now people take for granted with like an Xbox or a PS4 or uh, or even Apple TV, right? None of that was there. So it was this is open territory to try and figure out well, what kind of interfaces do we create, right? So in the innovation space, early on, early aughts, that was super interesting to me. As uh, as I left Frog and went to Microsoft, the real sort of bleeding edge work that we were doing there was not only innovation but it was actually like practical software design and we were our team was essentially responsible for creating a 3d 3d capture application using all of the early innovative work from the hololens group which is a mixed reality headset device if you're not familiar with it And we were taking all of that math and all of that kind of visualization, and we were crunching it down into a smartphone context with no depth sensor and only an RGB camera. So it was a large effort. And I think on the way to creating that piece of software, which essentially shipped as an SDK to another part of the company, because Microsoft is just so huge, it exposed me to a lot of new visualization technologies I'd never seen before. That was hugely gratifying. So you start to see a pattern here that I'm most engaged when I'm learning something new, right? And especially if it's something that really makes me look at my reality a bit differently. And then, you know, McKinsey, like I said, the, the kind of work that we do there is so operations focused. You know, I, I think a designer goes to McKinsey because they they want to add either a skill set or they want exposure to a particular framework of thinking, right? Which is why I went to work there. I mean, my time at McKinsey has been so different from my previous postings that people often ask me, what the heck are you doing there, you know? But once I explain it, I think it's pretty clear. It's It has to do with technology transfer. It has to do with understanding, like what a business is actually, like what's the logic that you need to generate in order for a thing or a service to actually like actualize right to become a real thing so that you know a billion dollars gets invested in something usually some large enterprise system you know for example we've worked with like large agricultural concerns to help unify a lot of their crop planning and accounting suites i know it sounds really dry but it's actually it's actually super interesting you know, in terms of these very traditional business processes taking a new shape for a very large customer base. It's fascinating because of the scale and it's fascinating, you know, because of, the, of all of the decision making and, and framing that needs to happen for executives in big, old, rich companies uh, to, to get there.
1: I think it's super fascinating. Thanks for you know, sharing that kind of uh, journey and, and transition. I think particular looking maybe at the different experience you had as a design leader in-house at Microsoft versus in more as from an external side, from Frog and now McKinsey, what are your learnings in terms of like how much impact you can drive and maybe some of the differences in terms of the approach uh, you bring as a designer to the table?
0: So if you're a design person, either individual contributor or a design leader at Frog, the reason that you're getting a call from someone is because they want you to take a risk for them. Right. And what I mean by that is a lot of organizations, they want to change what they're capable of putting into the world. And, but they, their organizations are not structured in a way that allows them to do that right now, uh, Sebastian, you're probably lucky because, you know, you work at a company that is very design forward and, you know, uh, BMW, and that, you know, I think, their ability to formulate and execute on a design idea is very mature, right? In fact, probably one of the most mature. And so that is a very, very different situation than you know, if an, like a telephone company calls you up and says, hey, we really need to like figure out how telephone booths can be something different, right? Which is actually kind of a, a call that we got at one point at Frog. And guess what? they wound up tearing all the phone booths out of the New York City sidewalks and and starting to replace them with digital kiosks, right? Mm-hmm. And so Frog was part of that kind of transition. I don't think uh, our design was not the final thing, but that's an example, right? So being at a place like Frog, an innovation firm, is about taking risks on, on behalf of other people who can't take risks. Mm-hmm. So that's why you get the call. Microsoft, I think, impact is really driven by your ability to negotiate and navigate, you know, a a fairly, and I know a lot of people will think this is a bad word, but uh, a fairly political environment, right? There are a lot of deep seated sort of practices and rituals and other, and you know, business units that play together in a very specific way. And as a designer, especially when you're first kind of coming in there, you have to learn very quickly how to navigate those things in order to have impact. I mean, the impact you have is generally about how many minds you're capable of changing in the shortest amount of time. And there are many different methods you can, you can do that with. The lingua franca of, of Microsoft are vision videos. So I think in the time that I was there, I did, I did three of those right in, in two years to illustrate you know, what a particular concept meant and to illustrate that impact before you know 100 developers started crunching yeah. math to go and do it right so that in that sense uh, that's that's impact i mean impact at mckinsey which which is i mean impact is the bottom line really uh, internally at mckinsey that if you're not having client impact then you're you're doing something wrong and i think what that amounts to is not only delivering in the case of design, like a minimum viable product that can then be used as a, an example to hold up in front of a SteerCo or a C-suite and say, this is the value of design, right? That's one impact. But another impact is also the kind of reportage that you are constantly surfacing for that client and how, like the way in which you're bringing them along the journey. Because I think increasingly, as design integration becomes more important for these organizations, it's about that journey. It's about, you know, advocacy and education. Like that is, that's kind of the impact you you don't see directly because, you know, you're delivering artifacts, right? But really you're, you're transforming the way they think about how their company does business and does design actually fit within that rubric? And the answer is yes, it does, but they have to be brought to that. And so that's impact.
1: I think it's super interesting what you point out and I think it links to a lot of conversations that uh, were happening in the in the last uh, days really well. Especially what you point out there about designing visions. You know, if you you know c- try to create confidence for the stakeholders that this is the right vision you want to go for, you said it very nicely before it's actually coded, right? How do you take other stakeholders along the process? Because I mean, they speak more of a uh, the role of design in terms of obviously also the craft aspect in terms of like like actually creating this vision, but also the aspect of design where it's more about the co-creation, and the facilitation. So I'm wondering a little bit about how do you make sure you bring along the other stakeholders like tech and business along and get their buy-in? So I think
0: one key word and everybody will understand it is facilitation. The, the number of workshops, and we'll, we'll just talk about McKinsey and maybe a little bit about Frog because it was less of a, an issue internally at Microsoft. I mean, the way you facilitated was to create a vision video and then broadcast that, right? And share your ideas that way. You know, at Frog, they had the, the FrogThink uh, toolkit, which pretty much every senior design leader, you know, sort of senior designer on up had to contribute to this book, which was essentially a collection of facilitative methods. And they were exercises that you could pick and choose from to construct a workshop that would drive certain outcomes and so depending on who the client was and what they wanted to to create kind of risk they were taking we we had this codified book and you can still get a hold of these books they exist if you're a client of frog or i think you can even order them but these manuals if you will were kind of there to to help us facilitate or bring our clients along with us in the design journey I mean, it's no different at McKinsey, even though I don't think they've they've really codified it from a methodological uh, perspective. But yeah, I mean, from from like a, a methodological perspective, uh, McKinsey, it certainly has playbooks. But you know, a standard early construct in any McKinsey study is the you know the concept sprint, and and it generally because of where McKinsey. Is positioned within a lot of the business leadership teams in big companies, and it's usually you know in the at the V or C level, you are working with very kind of high-flying corporate teams, and you're educating them. And then in some cases, you're educating them how to actually educate other people from a design value perspective. So these workshops are constructed over the course of you know, like a week and sometimes longer, it depends, and they can have different formats to basically step through all the motions of rapidly building, you know, a minimum viable uh, sort of product representation, right? Some kind of prototype is coming out the other end so that they can see the immediate value and they can hold up the artifact to their, you know, to their CEO or whoever is kind of like sponsoring the whole thing and see that and understand, okay, we see what this does, we see how you got there we now understand the value of investing X dollars in in this. So that's how we bring people on the journey. At Frog, it was very much like there was invention to that, whereas with McKinsey, it tends a lot more to be about current and future state, right? Like what's happening now and what, and how will this change iteratively in the future, right? Whereas Frog, it might be, there's nothing now and there will be something
1: you pointed out there was one aspect about the facilitation aspects of design the strategic side about design the co-designing parts of design to take uh, all the stakeholders along the journey so this is one part of design where it's more about the methodology and the process and then this other side obviously you know for example we're putting out then actually from there an mvp a vision something tangible for the people to discuss a vision I was wondering, for example, with your current role at McKinsey or what you see at the moment, which, how much you facil- how much you make use of these two sides. I was just explaining, and maybe which side is more important for you in terms of uh, driver impact. I'm sure it's pretty much the mix of both, but I'm wondering a little bit, you know, how you, you know, balance these both sides.
0: So I think one thing that we have to avoid in a design leadership role. And at McKinsey, that may be at the director level, it may be at the associate partner level, right? And in other organizations, that hierarchy is different, right? Uh, But it it roughly equates to the same thing. I think any design leader has to sort of strike a balance between facilitation, craft execution, and what I'll call, and I don't mean this cynically, but design theater, right? And the, the theater of that, I mean, I'll just remark on it briefly. Sometimes stakeholders, you know, client stakeholders actually want the theater more than they want anything else because they simply want to demonstrate what design is and does, right? So it's almost like, it's like a masterclass. In fact, that's a a much nicer way to say it, right? Design theater is like a masterclass for, you know, what designers do, what they create and so on. And so, you know, if they're looking for just that kind of pure, advocacy, right, which is what that ultimately turns into, then that's one thing. But from a facilitation perspective, you know, depending on the scope of a, a study at McKinsey, you know, it's often, there are multiple workshops, right? There are, you know, and they're phased. Fa- they're like, well, once an MVP is created, then we're actually going to continue. And then we're going to take that finished thing, which is a condensation of other insights and concepts. And now we're going to actually create scenarios around that thing with that thing at the center right so you know basically building a journey around the artifact is an, it could either be another phase of a, of a project study or it might be the whole point right and then from a craft perspective i mean everybody who is part of a, a design team at least mckinsey design and the design you know practitioners that are a part of that who are trained in design, have had a career in design uh, versus perhaps traditional CST or client service teams, which are, which are more of the, you know, what you would find like the MBA folks, right? Uh, People with traditional management training. And I think what you, what you find is everybody on the design side has craft. Like we, we know how to do visual composition. We know uh, in some cases how to do 3d modeling. Many of us know how to draw very well and and deploy you know and deploy that skill in some way like personally like when i'm out in the field doing design research i I do a lot of sketching to try and visually capture like conversations that have happened right you've seen like visual sketch notes in conference environments like it's like that kind of thing It's it's a kind of visual journaling that's something that i do in particular not everybody does that everybody i think understands like the very foundational skills of how to essentially spec out an information design or you know uh, wireframes right to show the structure scaffolding of, of a piece of software right or in the case of uh, industrial design you know project flow then there are actual sketches and models that are built of of a thing right so, it's all there. It just, there's some strategy involved in how it's going to be deployed. What kind of team are we going to assemble to like, that's going to have the right skill sets? And I think at this point, you know, certainly McKinsey does have people who can do all of those things. So, you've got craft, you've got facilitation, you've got theater. It's all happening at the same time, usually.
1: Yeah, I think it's super, super interesting. And I think maybe to close that topic, I was wondering, you know, I think you pointed out the, the different aspects of design in the journey. And I mean, I guess to, you know, the acquisition, acquisitions and the uh, whole evolution of McKinsey design. Now there's much more capabilities on the craft side now than maybe compared to maybe many years ago. I wonder how far you go in the projects in order, uh, like, until maybe production, right? Or maybe complete execution of new product or service. Is there like, a, usually like a phase where you say, okay, then we hand it over to the internal team or I want a little bit about uh, that process. Yeah.
0: So I think what you're really talking about there is uh, is the core capabilities building type of project, right? It's a very common type of project and, and it's not exclusive to McKinsey by any means. I mean, a lot of different firms, they've either started to use that language or they've been doing it, you know, quite a long time. And, but I think McKinsey's particular land is that they bring a quantitative perspective, right? Like deep you know big data sets of you know of the company's different vectors right that they can bring to bear and turn into sort of a quant insight right and then design coming at it from a qualitative perspective and helping to understand that again what i was saying before that kind of fuzzy messy human bit right and when you start to merge those two things into into an artifact that expresses the state of things in that company, it's actually pretty powerful. You know, I mean, we did the same thing at Frog, probably with less access to deep, like deep quantitative data. So I think what makes McKinsey very interesting in the overall landscape, I think, is the is their, their ability and the potential to bring those two types of data scenes together. But from a capabilities perspective, you know, by the time you've, Created an mvp and you've done the ad, the facilitation and advocacy and all of that now you're at a point where you're actually specking out what a departmental or organizational footprint is going to be for a company now not every project does that and the ones that do are usually you know you know some between 5 months and a year or something like that cuz it takes a long time to, to do the advocacy and to do the MVP and, you know, to get to a point where you've convinced all the stakeholders that, okay, we need an internal design team, right? And so the final stage of that capabilities building piece because all along we've essentially been, what's the word, uh, a proxy uh, to, you know, we've, we've been standing in for like the real designers, I guess, right, even though we are designers and we make a proposal around, hey, you need to hire twenty people. Here's the org chart, and now we're going to help you go and source those people, right? Which is of <laughs> is of like varying degrees of difficulty. If you're in the middle of nowhere, and so then you've got all kinds of logistical challenges. Like, how are you going to get designers to move out of their comfortable and hip urban centers and go live in? I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't want to put any place down, right? But in somewhere more remote, right? And so that can be a challenge. If you're lucky enough to be working with a company in an urban center, then maybe it's just a matter of shifting talent's perception about who that company is, right? So you go about establishing a full-time employee, an FTE footprint that will then, then McKinsey can step, take a step back and kind of monitor the health of that newly created organization advise where needed and then eventually you know disengage at least from that part of the, the relationship
1: mm-hmm. super interesting maybe it's a last question uh, to wrap it up we're here at you know interaction 20 looking at the future of interaction design in a way i wonder a little bit about your perspective on a larger discussion that is happening i mean you pre- i guess you're pretty familiar with the mckinsey research about the impact and value of design uh, the DMI index, the papers from John Maeda on the design and tech report. I wonder a little bit about your view, where you see this going moving forward and uh, your, your perspectives on that.
0: Uh, sure. I mean, I, I uh, how about if I just speak to McKinsey's business value of design and not John Maeda's papers? Yeah, I appreciate John Maeda's perspective. I just, I'm, I can't really speak intelligently enough about it. I think the McKinsey business value of design, as I have understood it, is it's really about a set of principles that businesses that will prime businesses to consume design in a more productive way, right? Or to develop their own capability. I mean, if you were to ask me where, you know, where I think some of the design practice is going, so so let's say in another five years, I would very much put uh, a lot of money on the machine learning front and, and AI development, not in terms of, you know, Oh my God, we're going to have, you know, super intelligences running the world, but more in terms of the education of those in so-called intelligences. I think designers are in a unique position because of their, because of the human centered research that they do uh, to really have a great vocabulary around how people do interact with technology, how they would how they aspire to interact with technology, and also, you know looking at patterns or indices around if, you know, by talking to enough people in a qualitative context and you're in their homes or in hospitals or wherever, to actually generate a matrix of insights that could actually be structured for consumption, you know by uh, machine learning systems, right? so that, kind of response time and and acuity of those systems can actually become more humanistic. And I I think because those things are going to keep developing, I think that's going to be a big area where designers can help kind of make a more humanistic outcome for machine learning and AI, right? And, And then I think alongside that, it was very interesting talking to Andrew Hoppen the other day after his talk on design and governance, that lawmaking and there's, there are projects around computational lawmaking, right? Where designers can get involved in how laws can become more portable and more global. I mean, I think that's very interesting. Like essentially the perspective that design has on the so-called you know, human-centered way of looking at the world, I think is needed at all levels of bureaucracy, of, you know, of uh, medical care, right? There's, there's a lot that can be done in terms of the future of design and where it goes. And finally, I would say, and you probably heard this from Robert uh, and others, underserved populations, like people who don't have the same kind of access. You know, you and I sitting here uh, in front of a a laptop with a nice microphone, that's a privileged position, right? And a lot of people will never have that opportunity. So how do you, you know, how do you democratize, not only access to, to technology, but, also pay attention to the diversity and richness that is important for technology to adopt, or adapt rather, to different parts of the world where it's gonna be used. And I think designers can, you know, effectively impact that situation as well.
1: Thank you so much. It's, it's been a you know, fascinating perspective. I think we need to wrap it up um, because of time, but thank you so much for, for your time and, you know, sharing the perspectives. Thank you so much. Of course. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.